Hello and welcome to Drilled. We are doing a quick update episode today on the Exxon fraud trial that just concluded in New York. Our reporter Emily Gertz was there a few times during the trial, including the opening and closing arguments and during Rex Tillerson's testimony. So she's brought us some details and we've also got a few minutes of the trial to play for you as well. I also caught up with Union of Concerned Scientists, Kathy Mulvey, to get her take on this. She's been following the case closely and we talked a little bit about how the New York case stacks up against the Massachusetts case. Here we go. What was the scene like on the opening day of the trial? Yeah, the opening day of the trial. Well, I didn't see all of this, but ahead of the trial uh, opening, which was around the middle of the afternoon, like one of the local 350 chapters uh, staged a big demo, hold Exxon accountable kind of thing. And there's some pictures from that did come out in, in like the times and stuff. And then there was a really long line to get into the hearing room, which was where there was like, I don't know, seating for, I don't know, outside of the area where the all the parties in the case are, not very big. And so they, you know, they managed to cram about, I don't know, let's say 30 or 40-ish people into the courtroom sort of uh, gallery, and then all everyone else, and there were like dozens of people online, were, were sent over to an overflow room where they had a live stream coming in. So there was a lot of people there interested in the case. And, and then the two sides each gave their opening arguments. They had a lot of exhibits that they put up on the screen as they gave the opening arguments. You know, the, the AG's office went first because the, the, they brought the lawsuit and laid out their case for why what Exxon did constituted fraud. And then the lawyer for Exxon got up and gave his case, and which was basically to say this wasn't fraud. It was clear all along exactly how Exxon was doing this. And the AG, the AG's, this is not about securities fraud at all. This is about the uh, attorney general having an agenda to persecute Exxon. And our evidence is that Eric Schneiderman did this press conference a year or two ago, you know, with Al Gore, <laughs> Talk, you know, in the wake of in the wake of the uh, reporting by L.A. Times and Inside Climate on what Exxon knew and um, or, you know, Exxon the road not taken. And they're like, so they held Thanks. this press conference and they were determined to find some way to haul Exxon into court. And that's what this case is really about. It has nothing to do with securities fraud. I watched the opening online, too. And, and he like the like one of the last things he said was something like that basically um compared this case to Russians hacking the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty strange, wasn't it? And it was strange. Yeah. I'm gonna play, I'll play a little bit of that tape here. We want to talk about how they can get AGs involved to advance that false agenda. Try to perpetrate something false, almost like the Russians trying to interfere with the election. 
I should mention here that that is Ted Wells. He is a litigation partner with the firm Paul Weiss. He is also the attorney who defended Philip Morris in the RICO case against Big Tobacco. And he's been Exxon's attorney for quite some time. He really seemed to be getting kind of flustered towards the end, um, which is unusual for these uh, oil company lawyers. I, I he was to a lot he worked he worked up a good head of steam. Definitely, this this whole angle of how persecuted Exxon is is one of their really potent arguments. And 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 yet at the same time, the ahead I, I went and did a lot of did my best to get familiar with all the sort of motions and things that led up to the trial. And um, the, they, on the one hand, Exxon's motions to exclude all sorts of uh, 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 angles of the prosecution were denied. But at the same time, the prosecution, the judge also really uh, sort of narrowed the path for the attorney general's office to bring in like, information about how Exxon misled the public for so many years like that 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 arguably predated the actions that the AG say constitute the fraud and so like that stuff isn't coming is barely coming up in the trial which perhaps may have been very dissatisfying to some of the activists but this is really i mean it's really about this like did Exxon conduct business in in above board or did it mislead investors? That's basically and whether it misled the whole world about climate change is is hardly coming up on um, cross examination. Tillerson went so far as to say, well, you know, Exxon did a lot of the original research that that has proven that climate change is real, and you know, it's like. He can say that because the prosecution <laughs> is 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 almost practically forbidden from bringing up anything about how it then buried all tried did its best to bury all that research, and you know so it, it's quite fascinating. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Kathy Mulvey, the Accountability Campaign Director for the Climate and Energy Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists about this too. Kathy's been following this case against Exxon and various other cases for a while, and she had one interesting detail about what some of the accounting stuff shows about the denial campaigns and their impacts on climate change. Here she is. 
the New York case is pretty narrowly focused on how the company accounted internally for the costs of its high carbon business and uh, you know got into a lot of of detail about the the terminology and so I, I think it it um, really drew attention to the way that ExxonMobil did its planning, which um, you know may have led to exploration and development of carbon intensive resources like the Canadian oil sands that will be uh, harmful to our climate, but also may wind up being stranded assets if if um, if policies are, are strengthened around climate change. Okay, back to my conversation with Emily. You know, I think on the second or third day of the trial, um, Maura Healy officially filed her suit in Massachusetts, and that suit, the investigation started the same time that the New York fraud investigation started, yeah. but the Massachusetts suit includes all of the uh, greenwashing and denial campaigns right. and all that stuff. Yeah, I think Maura Healy might have been at that press conference, that, that the Eric Schneiderman press conference. Um, Probably. I don't think there's an equivalent of the Martin Act in Massachusetts. So for them, make, making a strong case may be substantially different. So like, I wonder if like some of the discovery in that case we talked about last time could come into play there, because that's a, that's a Boston air, that's a Massachusetts community there that's claiming that while Exxon was saying one thing about climate change, that, that like, right. it was doing another thing to protect its business. So the Healy case looks like it's going to be really different, but, but Exxon will go after every single thing. And, oh, yeah. and try to get as much of it excluded as possible if as and mm-hmm. and to not even go to trial obviously they'll do their best to get the whole thing thrown out so they were trying to um get her to hold off on filing until after the new york oh case and she was just like no <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> yeah they were <clears throat> initially they said you know she couldn't file until after the new york trial had stopped, which is not true. (laughs) And then then, um, when she sent them the sort of like notice of, you know, intent to file, they said, well, you know, we'll do the, you know, conference and, and discussion after the New York thing, which, you know, is sort of a courtesy that you wait until you have this like conference with counsel on the opposing side to file but you don't it's not required there's no legal obligation and so healy's choice to just go ahead and file like right in the middle of the first week is is definitely a sort of f you but that that whole trial is i don't know it's interesting because they you know they tried to sue her personally with this exact same argument that that was used in the opening statement of the New York case yeah. that this is politically motivated and that you know it's a witch hunt and all this kind of stuff um so i think there's a little more like personal heat um in the massachusetts case well, yeah, I mean, if nothing else, like, you know, I think we're on our third attorney general since since yeah. since Schneiderman announced the investigation. So it would be very hard. Right. It would be very hard for them to to bring to make to attempt to like even infer like a personal animosity on the part of the AG's office. You're right. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. But Maura Healy's 
uh, fortunately has has managed not to do anything that forced her to resign from office, unlike unlike <laughs> our attorney general. Well, it must it must be very frustrating to them. You know, they can't get these cases moved. Like whenever there's a federal suit, one of the first things they do is try to get it moved down to Texas. Right. And and like that's, a, you know can't do that if it's the state AG. So Well, and then with all of the, the cases that have been filed in state court, they try to get it removed to federal court because they have some um, precedents, at least in the liability cases of, of um, the Clean Air Act, basically preempting any kind of state action on this stuff. So right. that's what's interesting about the, the New York AG's approach too, is like it has, you, you can't make that Clean Air Act argument with, right. with, securities fraud in New York state. Did you go back on Wednesday also for Tillerson? Uh, I did. I did. I went back for Tillerson. Was there a different sense of, of anything when you went back for the Tillerson testimony? There wasn't as big a crowd. I mean, there was definitely a lot of people. Certainly there was a lot of press there, but there, you didn't get the big crowd of activists that we saw the first day. There were two things, I think. The first is that, you know, by this time, the trial has been going on for what, two weeks almost. And yeah, there was already kind of a little bit of a fraught atmosphere coming in from what I read, because first of all, the AG has been relying a lot on this, the same set of documents when they do their uh, examinations of the witnesses. And I, one gets the sense from side comments, like, I, I won't show that map again, that the, the judge has seen a lot of this stuff now repeatedly. And is, is the judge beginning to get impatient? Well, like the week before Tillerson came in, he actually told the prosecution, he said, if you guys can't make efficient use of our time. I'm going to end the trial because they were setting up witnesses and then Exxon was not cross-examining. So they had these big holes in the schedule that that the judge felt were needless. And so I did notice that a press person from the AG is sending out ba- on background updates on the witness list. And the witness list did start to get a little more heavily populated at that point as you know they began to sort of queue people up against the possibility that Exxon would not take up a lot of time with uh, cross-examination. So, so, you know, so yeah, coming in, you know, there's been a little already a little bit of strife between the prosecution and the judge, let's say. And so, but, you know, other than that, it it was all very calm. I mean, Tillerson was extremely self-contained, very composed. He looked very relaxed. He was kind of tan, actually. And uh, like, I didn't get a sense of any sense of defensiveness from him while he was being examined. There was a lot of I don't recall <laughs> here, you know, at certain points. And and one thing that people remarked on afterwards, meaning reporters I was chatting with, was that people had been kind of expecting the prosecutors to bring up this Wayne Tracker email account issue. Are you familiar with that? Yes. And, and yeah. yeah, and they I mean and the attorney from the AG's office was like one of their information technology specialists and uh-huh. which would have I think created some expectations that they were going to discuss with him why were you using this aliased account? Why did the messages from that account why weren't they, you know, saved? the way uh, your your main account was when, you know, it became clear that there was a legal action underway. 
you know, Exxon has excuses for that. Like, well, we just didn't, you know, we didn't, we didn't take, we didn't flag that account for conservation or whatever. So, but none of that ever came up. They just let it go completely. spoke to Emily the day before the closing arguments in the Exxon trial. That was today, November 7th. But I watched those closing arguments myself this morning, and it struck me that Ted Wells seemed to really be focusing on the reputations of Exxon's executives and how they've been harmed by the charges brought in this case. It's not unusual for Exxon to sue attorneys, organizations, activists, whoever they can over things like reputational risk. So I don't know whether he's laying the groundwork there, but he was really emphasizing it in his closing. Here's the little snippet of that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the case is almost, it's a joke, but it's a cruel joke, Your Honor, because the reputations of a lot of good people have been hurt and disparaged by the bringing of the complaint. The ExxonMobil witnesses are primarily engineers and scientists. That's what the company is made of. And those persons, they come to work every day for one purpose, to try to bring energy to the world and to this country, to try to make sure that all of us, when we get up in the morning, we have light. In the winter, we have heat. And just because there is a serious problem related to climate change, and we acknowledge that that problem is real and must be addressed, it does not give a regulator the right to bring America's case that hurts people's reputations. And meanwhile, Maura Healy in Massachusetts formally filed her complaint against Exxon. So that will be going to trial at some point soon. And that case is a little different from this one. Here's Kathy Mulvey again on that one. Fascinating there is in terms of the uh, charges of of defrauding investors, um, it's situated in a a much larger question of the, the systemic risks that climate change poses to our entire economy and what that means for uh, for the planet and for ExxonMobil's business. So that's really putting fundamental issues on the table and fundamental issues that are that are in the mainstream. I and mean, the task force convened by Michael Bloomberg um, several years ago that uh, that task force on climate related financial disclosures, you know, was was put together with the recognition that climate change poses the same kinds of systemic risks to our global economy that the financial crisis did 10 years ago. So that's one big difference. The other big difference is that the Massachusetts lawsuit includes a, a consumer complaint and specifically charges ExxonMobil with, with greenwashing in its advertising to consumers in the Commonwealth and, and uh, its apparent you know, misrepresentation that the, that the company is taking action to address climate change when actually the company is expanding aggressively its, its fossil fuel business. 
Okay, that's it for this one. We will definitely be following the Massachusetts case as well, and we'll bring you other updates on all the various litigation as we get them. Thanks for listening. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The show was created and reported by me. Our music is by Martin Wissenberg. We're in sort of an in-between season right now, and we're doing a few interviews and series, but we will have another investigative series coming at you. It's a great story, so I hope you tune in. In the meantime, you can check out our first and second series in this feed. You can find Drilled wherever you get your podcasts, and please remember to drop us a rating or review. It really helps us find new listeners. We will also have quite a bit of bonus content this month. And we will drop the next season early for our members. So if you're interested in supporting our work, we're 100% independent and bootstrapped. So your support really helps. We do have a premium membership and the link for that is in the show notes. Thanks a lot.